Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Peck. church. It is, uh, it's good to be together this morning, to be at the altar, and to share in this story that we have been engaging in in the sermon time for the past several uh, months now. We're in the book of Luke, and uh, last Sunday we journeyed up the mountain with Jesus, up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you remember last week, I was grateful for the messages I got in response because we spent time asking God to come and be present, to speak a word into our questions of doubt or uncertainty about the journey ahead, not knowing what the week would hold ahead. The story this morning is in Luke 22, but I want to open with words from Luke 9 and that story of transfiguration. Luke 9 verse 31, I want to remind us of what happened on that Mount of Transfiguration. You remember there's this scene and there's this glory that's there, but there's a word that's spoken by Moses in that scene with Moses and Elijah and Jesus on that Mount. I want you to pay attention to this word uh, in Luke 9 verse 31. They spoke about his departure, and that word departure I'll come back to in a minute, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. The word there for departure is actually the word exodon in Greek, which you can hear the reverberations of what that means. This is tying into the Exodus story, right? God, through Jesus, is going to make his departure from planet Earth. It's going to happen in Jerusalem, and Jesus is telling them what's ahead. And Moses is having a conversation with Jesus about his Exodon. I love that. I wish I could hear that conversation, right? Hey, when the Exodus happens, Jesus, I want you to know God will come and part the waters, right? God will come and do whatever he needs to to provide freedom for his people. God's power is at work. I would love to hear that conversation between Moses and Jesus on that mountain. But we hear about that in Luke 9, 31. But as the story goes on, they go to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 22. So if you want to turn there now, that's where we'll spend most of the rest of our time this morning in the story. But this is the Passover event. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, And the Passover is a celebration that takes the Jewish people back to a focus on Moses and on the story of the Exodus, a time of remembrance, a time of looking forward, though, also. And this time is going to be different from the mystical moment on the top of that mountain because these are elements that all of us deal with every day, right? Bread and grape juice. We may not have that at every meal, right? But we know what it is to be around a table with simple elements. And at the Passover meal, that's the same thing. They have these simple elements. These are simple people that are coming together to tell a simple story. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's about God, remembrance of what God has done so they can have faith walking into what it is that they'll have to do in these days ahead after the Passover in Jerusalem later that week. So when Jesus wanted to give his followers then and to us now a way of understanding what was about to happen to Jesus, he doesn't give them a theory. 
He doesn't lay out five steps. He doesn't lay out this premise or this theology or this dogma or doctrine. What he does is he gives them a ritual that they are supposed to come back to on a regular basis. It's an act uh, that we will experience this morning in just a few moments. It's referred to in churches across the world as the Eucharist or as the Lord's Supper or as communion. But regardless of what you call it, I love the simplicity of this meal. And yet as simple as it is, just bread and juice, it it has all of the symbolism that goes so deep. And and often on Sunday mornings, we don't have the time during our communion time to key in on the story behind it and to to go into all this detail about the Passover and about all this illusion. But this morning, I want to take some time to give depth to this meal that Jesus had with his followers, but also that we do every single Sunday together. But before we get to the meal, I want to have set some context. So when Jesus shares this meal with his disciples, the authorities are plotting to take him out, plotting to, to get rid of Jesus. Those are the stakes that Jesus walks into in Jerusalem. And while the Passover is an opportunity, it also poses danger for the authorities and those in power who want to pull the trigger. Because Passover was a time when the Jewish people came together to remind themselves of a story about a God who had delivered his people from oppressive bondage from a ruthless ruler named Pharaoh in the past. So when you tell a story about God doing that in the past, there's always the threat that maybe revolution might occur in the current moment. So Pontius Pilate, who's over the province of Judea, always has to travel to keep things in order in the city of Jerusalem during the Passover time. So what he does is he travels all the way from Caesarea Maritime, which is about 70 miles from Jerusalem, and he travels to make sure that things are in order and that things don't get out of hand. But that concern that Pilate has doesn't prevent the chief priests and the teachers of the law from taking steps to take uh, the proceedings and get them started with Jesus. I want to read from Luke 22, verse 1, to see exactly what happens in this story. Now, the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So that's the background behind this meal. Is that one of the 12, Judas Iscariot, has decided, uh, Satan enters him, uh, and he decides he's going to hand over Jesus when the opportunity arrives for a quiet way, conspiring with the teachers of the law. So Jesus knows his time is short. He knows this is going to be his last Passover meal with his disciples. And he chooses in this moment, around this table at Passover, to do three things. First, he chooses to remember God's work in the Exodus story. That's what they're there to do at the Passover. Number two... He chooses to help his disciples understand the meaning of his upcoming death. He's talked about it before, all the way back from Luke 9, but here he's going to go into more detail about that. And then third, he's going to establish a ritual. He's going to establish a meal his followers will use to remember his death and his resurrection. But this meal is first and foremost an opportunity to remember the work of God in the Exodus story centuries before, because it's the Passover. And for thousands of years, people have gotten together to eat the same foods, for their kids to ask the same questions, and to tell the same story of God's deliverance of his people. So listen to what happens in Luke 22, verse 7, as we read on about this scene at the table. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. 
Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. Say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Some of you have had an experience perhaps of eating a Passover Seder meal with a group. Passover Seder is the Passover meal that's now added significance. There's more elements now that are eaten and reminded of than what were there probably in the time of Jesus. We're not sure exactly the evolution of this meal, what would have been present at that table at the Passover there with Jesus, but we know that we have more today than likely was there. But it's a feast where it would have included reading texts and drinking wine and telling stories and eating special foods along with other Passover traditions. And like any other meal, it's an experience that uses all five senses. Every part of the meal symbolizes something. This is not a meal just to fill your stomach. It's a, it's a meal that's meant to fill your soul, a meal that's meant to remind you of the story of God. Remember, the people of God had been in bondage for 400 years. Pharaoh had been their ruler. They had forgotten about Joseph, and, and now uh, God frees them from, from bondage. And it's amazing how he does it. There's nine plagues. But even after nine plagues, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't allow the people of he- the Hebrew people to go. But after that 10th plague, Pharaoh finally allowed them to go. It was a devastating pl- plague that affected all the households of Egypt. The angel of death passed over all the houses in Egypt, struck down every firstborn person and animal. The only ones who were spared that night were the ones who had lamb's blood smeared on the doorposts of their homes. Blood saved people. The angel of death passed over and didn't take the firstborns of those households. And it was on that night that Pharaoh commanded Moses to go, to leave. Whatever you do, get out of here. We're tired of you people and your plagues. And so every Jewish food on this table reminded them of that story and of God's deliverance. Why unleavened bread? Well, if you remember the story, they didn't have time to put yeast into the dough. And so they rushed out and so they ate unleavened bread that day. And so every time they would eat unleavened bread in the days to come, it reminded them. Which means when we share our feast as well, our Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of not just Jesus' body, but also of God's deliverance centuries before. It reminds us that unleavened bread eaten in haste tastes better than the best kind of bread eaten in slavery. Why bitter herbs? Well, it was to remind those who eat it of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. It's important to be reminded of this because there would become a day where Israel would be in charge of others and they were not to oppress and enslave others in the way they had been treated. Why this paste that's there, the fruit paste? It, just looking at the paste reminded them of the mortar that had been smeared between the bricks as they built Pharaoh's buildings and structures. Why salt water and green vegetables? The salt water that was to be dipped into reminded of the tears that had been shed in slavery all those many years. And the green vegetable, a reminder that God can bring freedom and bring healing, that there's new life possible past slavery. During the Passover, that first Passover, that they would eat with their cloaks tucked into their belts, with their sandals on their feet, and with a staff in their hands, ready to go at any moment when Egypt declared it would be so. That's not how that meal is eaten today. 
You eat a Seder feast today. You recline at the table. We're to recognize that we're free people in haste to go nowhere. It reminds us, this meal, of the bitterness of slavery, but also the sweetness of God's deliverance that comes because God does deliver, God hears, God acts. And there were questions that were to be asked. The children were to ask, why is this night different than all the other nights? And I'm sure other questions came along as well, right? Why are we eating this, these bitter herbs? Well, it's about the bitterness of slavery. Why are we dipping our green vegetables in this water? Well, it reminds us of the tears, but also there's new life. Why do we... Why do we recline at the table? Isn't it okay to run around? No, we recline because we're reminded that we're able to be still and present because God still delivers. And these questions always set the stage for the Exodus story to be told again. Now just imagine this happening year after year, people having the same meal. You have your Thanksgiving meal, they have their Passover meal every year. And all of that memory is there. At one point, they asked the questions to the adults. Now they're the adults, often many of them, that would be sharing with the children the answers to their questions. And there would have been cups of wine there as well. And, and, and we don't know how many would have been there at the table with Jesus that night, but today there are four cups of wine that represent, represent four promises that God made in Exodus 6, 6, and 7. Here are those four promises. I will bring you you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I'll re- rescue you from bondage. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm, and I will take you as my people. So those four cups are there, and at some point, Jesus picks up one of those cups at this Passover feast. And as God's people had done for centuries, he announces that this will be his last Passover with them. Let's read on in verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he steps beyond the Passover meal and all the expectations. And he takes the unleavened bread and he begins to start something that we continue to this day. Verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I'm sure they kind of wrinkled their brow with more confusion than clarity. What do you mean there's a, what do you mean your body? What do you mean your blood's going to be poured out? This body is given for us? What this bread was about? The unleavened bread about the Passover story. This cup is a new covenant in your blood poured out for us. What, what could you possibly mean? What in the world does Jesus mean? But over the next few hours and days, it will become quite clear what Jesus means. You see the power of Jesus doing this at the meal he chooses to do it at? He's tying into a story for these Jewish people long that came before his giving of his body and blood. This is a God who has delivered enslaved people and he promises to do it again. He did it in the Exodus, but this isn't just about a remembrance of the past. This is about an anticipation of the future, about the present moment they're in. Jesus isn't just reminding them of who God has been. He's reminding them of who God is. And just as God used Moses, his prophet, to lead his people from slavery to freedom, God is going to take Jesus and use him and his body and his blood in order to lead us to freedom. For the Jewish people, this story, the Exodus story, is the central story in the entire Hebrew Scriptures. It's the one they had a festival for every year. It's the story they repeated on repeat and repeat and repeat. If they wondered if their prayers were heard, they reminded themselves of the story because for 400 years, it seemed like they weren't. But God hears prayers and he acts. And for us, what would happen in the days that follow this 
are, are, is the story that is the hinge of human history, right? It's how we count our calendars. It's this life of Jesus that shapes everything once again. And so when we gather every Sunday to share in the body and blood of Jesus, when we receive the bread and the cup, we remember and we look forward. Now, I remember growing up the remembering part. We talked a lot about remembering the body and blood of Jesus. And we talked about it being this remembrance time. In fact, etched on the front of the altar that we had up on stage, it said that word, right? Do this in remembrance of me, quoting the words of Jesus. So, of course, there's a remembrance, just as the Passover had a remembrance to it, right? Remember when God did these great things. Don't ever forget these things, because if we forget, we might betray our God. So I remember growing up, seeing my mom and my dad taking communion, and I knew it was a solemn moment. I knew I didn't know what they were thinking about, but I knew to think hard about something. And I, I remember remembering that story, thinking about the nails, thinking about the blood, thinking about Jesus' body that was given. And it was kind of this communal, or it was kind of this individual thing. It was kind of it was me. And every now and again, we'd have an experience that was maybe a little more communal, but that's what I remember of communion. And, and I'm grateful for that because it grounds me in what Jesus has told us to do to remember. Just like the Passover, there's a future element to this meal as well. And I hope we see that this morning, and I hope we can lean into this even more in our ritual in the days ahead, that when we come to this table, we, yes, we remember Jesus' sacrifice. We can't forget that. But we've also got to look forward to what this meal does. And you remember what Jesus says about the future, even at that meal. Let's read it again in Luke 22, verse 18. He says to them, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What he's saying is, this is the last time on earth I'm going to do this, but one day in the future, we're going to get to do this again. When the kingdom of God comes, this meal is going to be there. And since the exile, the people of God have had this future hope about a day in the ages to come on the mountain of God, when God's people would come and they would would have this feast, this banquet. In fact, I want to read to you from Isaiah 25, uh, verses 6 through 9. Listen to this as the future hope that God gave the Israelites while they were in exile. Uh, Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Is that not good news for our church this week? The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So when we take this meal in just a moment, It takes us back to the night of the Passover in Egypt, not just to the cross, right? Because these elements were there, right? The bread and this cup, they remind us of the the blood that was smeared on the doorpost. They remind us of the, the unleavened bread that they didn't have time to finish because God was freeing them so quickly. They also take us back to this moment at the cross. They remind us of Jesus' sacrifice. So when we take this bread and this juice, it reminds us of Jesus' body that was given and his blood that was poured out on our behalf. So we remember that moment, but let us not just remember, let us also look forward to the promised feast that God has promised to us all who are in his name as we die on his holy mountain. One day, the best of meats... And the finest of wines will be there. 
One day, there'll be no more tears because they'll all be wiped away. And we will see God truly for who he is. And on a week like this, don't we need both of these things at the table? To remember what has given us hope so that we don't mourn like the rest of the world and those who have no hope. And we remember God's deliverance before. We remember about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but we don't stay in the past alone. We come with joyful celebration as a community of faith, leaning in against the sorrow that we all feel on a day like this to proclaim that there's a banquet on its way and we'll get to see Jesus there when the kingdom returns. And we'll get to see Corey there in that moment and all those who passed recently in our lives or who will ahead of us, there will be a day of promise in the future where we will get to see each one again. So this morning as we take this feast, I hope you'll come maybe with a tear in your eyes because remembrance is here with us. But I hope you'll come also with a smile on your face, maybe a hug for someone who needs it this morning because it's here that joy and sorrow find their place at the table. We remember and we long and we look forward. Let me say a prayer as we finish this time in the word. God, we, we thank you so much for the good news of this supper, this meal God, it reminds us of stories in the past where you've been faithful, where you have delivered your people, where you have shown up and reminded them that you heard all of their cries. This morning, God, we need to know that you hear our cries and our prayers because it's easy to doubt on weeks like this. But God, this meal is one that many of us have taken now dozens, hundreds, many, many times. For some of us, this is a newer meal and we're just getting used to it. It's new and fresh. But God, what I know is that you meet us here every time and that Jesus is our host and that we are here as brothers and sisters remembering what you've done, but also looking forward to what you'll do and for the reunions that we'll get to have again one day. God, we long for that meat and that wine. We long to see your face, the face of those who have already gone before us in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.